You don't know flag. You Don't Know Flat, a podcast full of stories about retro gaming, retro computing, video games, arcade games, and technology from a guy who was there and still is. My name is Rob O'Hara, but for the next 30 minutes, you can call me Flat. Greetings and salutations, listeners, and welcome to episode number 228 of You Don't Know Flat. I'm your host, Rob Flack O'Hara, and on today's episode, we will be talking about Whitewater. This episode of You Don't Know Flack was made possible by my Patreon supporters, supporters like Petzl, Scott Lambert, and Zeke Pabsky. If you'd like to support my podcasts and other creative ventures, visit my Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. All of my patrons get access to behind-the-scenes blog posts, random videos, access to the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server, and other additional perks. To find out more details, visit my Patreon page. Again, that is patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. Now, I wrote down the show notes to this episode on a piece of paper. I didn't have my Commodore handy. I haven't unpacked everything from BoatFest yet, but unfortunately, I put the paper in my pocket And I went swimming at Whitewater. So while I wait for this sheet of paper to dry out, that'll give us a few minutes to chat on this week's Loading Time. Loading Time. Loading Time. Loading Time. Welcome back to another episode of You Don't Know Flack. As I mentioned, I just got back from BoatFest, and by just, I mean a couple of weeks ago, BoatFest was the retro gaming, retro computer gathering that took place in West Virginia, uh, Hurricane, West Virginia, to be more specific. It was put on by Boat of Car. Some people know him as John Schaller. He is one half of the podcasting team that make up the Amigos. He was assisted by his uh, podcast partner, Amigo Aaron, and uh, Aaron's brother, the Brent, and uh, Brent's wife, and um, uh, Boat's wife, and lots of other people, local people, pitched in and put on what was one heck of a gathering. My buddy Jeff, who I've mentioned on many of my podcasts, and I um, uh, rented an RV and drove an RV. One, It was almost exactly 1,000 miles from uh, Oklahoma to Hurricane West Virginia, 990 miles each way, uh, which was a, a fun adventure. It was a very expensive adventure. <laughs> Uh, they get you. They get you on the fees. When they say $200 a day, that doesn't include things like mileage and insurance and uh, other random fees that pop up. So somehow $200 a day became like $400 a day. <laughs> and it sure added up. But, uh, you know, when you're a kid and you have these uh, you have these, these crazy things in your head. Like, wouldn't it be fun? To, uh, you know, someday when I'm older, I'm going to get an RV and go on a trip with my buddy. And then when we get older, we realize, uh, that that would be really expensive and that that would be a hassle. And it would be a lot easier to just fly across the country, be there in a couple of hours, you know, rather than spend two days on the road and, and, uh, sleeping on these terrible mattresses and stuff. But When you fly like that, you don't get the kind of stories and adventures that Jeff and I had. We had many fun adventures in the RV. We had a great time at Boat Fest. There were so many 
of my patrons who were there that I got to see. There were so many people that were at BoatFest last year that showed up again. It was just such – it really is the – uh, I know this week, I believe right now, is uh, Apple Fest, uh, Kansas Fest, which is the Apple II gathering. Uh, and I've never been to that, so I can't speak to it per se. But the vibe at Boat Fest was like the vibe of the old uh, copy fests or maybe the old local computer group gathering. I mean, that's basically what it was. It was a gathering of people that brought their old computers and all enjoyed old computers. As I, I think I said this on Sprite Castle, it was, it was, um, you know, people bringing and showing off things and wanting to see what other people brought. It was just so much fun and, um, not a bad apple in the entire bunch. Like there wasn't anybody there who, uh, as far as I know, that didn't have a good time. There wasn't anybody there that was complaining. There wasn't anybody there who, you know, was causing trouble. It was like every single person there had the right spirit. Uh, and that's two years in a row. So I don't know if that's a testament to the listening base of the Amigos podcast or if they've just got lucky. <laughs> I really couldn't tell you, but what I can tell you is that it was a lot of fun and if they do it again next year, then you could definitely count on seeing me there again. It was uh, it was an awful lot of fun to go to. Um, now that I am back from that, um, all of my vacations for the year are done. All of the time that I had scheduled off uh, as for the immediate future is off, and that has allowed me to return to a weekly podcasting schedule. I know there's been a couple of months where uh, some of the content has been uh, few and far between, so I appreciate all of my listeners and all of my patrons and, and just all the people that listen to the old shows. You know, one of the things at BoatFest, uh, this never ceases to amaze me, is when someone uh, that's a stranger comes up to me and I start to introduce myself and they say, oh, I know who you are. I listen to your podcast. I know your stories, I'll start to tell a story and then they'll chuckle and they'll say, oh yeah, I remember you, you talked about that or something. Um, it, it's not, you know, I say meeting a stranger, it's not meeting a stranger. It's like meeting a friend that I just haven't met yet. You know, it's somebody that, that, uh, you know, we, we already share things in common. I just didn't know it yet. You know, and then when I meet that person, they say, oh, I heard you talk about ninjas. I like ninjas. <laughs> Or Commodore computers or, you know, whatever, whatever it is, or a game. A lot of times people will come up and they say, you know, I really enjoyed this episode of Sprite Castle where you talked about this particular game. That's one of my particular favorite games. And I play that with my kids now. And so it really gives you a, a springboard to start conversations. And, and, uh, I really enjoy it. But, um, uh, you know, that is, uh, um, one of the things when you take these long breaks, you kind of lose that connection. And, and that's something that I don't really like to do. Sometimes, uh, life comes up, things happen, you know, but, um, basically I don't have any vacations planned. And so I'm, I'm back to that weekly schedule right now. So every other week you'll be hearing a new episode of Sprite Castle. Every other week you should be hearing a new episode of, you don't know, Flack. I'm going to try to get those out 
on Fridays. Sometimes it may be Saturday if something comes up like it did this week, but um, typically Friday or Saturday, by the end of the week, you should have a new episode. So some people like to save them till Monday. I've had people tell me they like to save new episodes until Monday and listen to them on their commute to work or when they get to work on Monday. So, um, so, so don't spoil it. <laughs> You listen to a new episode. Don't spoil it for everybody. I don't, how could you possibly spoil these episodes? I don't know. But um, yeah, so the, I would say that we're, we're back to that uh, um, weekly schedule for Sprite Castle, alternating between Sprite Castle and You Don't Know Flack. Um, if you've been following the, or if you have the uh, all podcast feed, you've probably seen a lot of episodes of uh, Rando Rob showing up. I've been trying to be a little bit more uh, consistent with those. I think I released uh, one every day last week. So that was five episodes of that. Those are also on YouTube. If you follow, uh, Rob O'Hara on YouTube, it's just youtube.com forward slash Rob O'Hara, which by the way, I just checked earlier today. I have 998 subscribers. <laughs> I'm so close. Um, you can, one of the two keys to unlock starting getting paid for ads on YouTube is having a thousand subscribers. So I'm two people away from that. So, uh, that should happen sometime this week, but also you have to have so many watch hours of your content and I'm way far away <laughs> of that. Uh, I think you have to have 3000 watch hours and I'm at like 17 or 1800, something like that. So, but getting closer, you know, to the dream, I'm going <laughs> to walk away from my job, quit everything and just start making that big YouTube money. <laughs> I think that's, that's how it works. Uh, anyway, uh, speaking of, uh, YouTube money, or money in general. If you follow my other projects, uh, including uh, Big Rob's Van, which is uh, on YouTube at uh, it has the at symbol. It's YouTube.com forward slash at Big Rob's Van. But there's also an Instagram account, Big Rob's Van. There's a website, Big Rob's Van dot com. Uh, there's a Twitter account, but I haven't really been using Twitter. Uh, I, I mean, I have, but not for Big Rub's Van. Mostly it's been Instagram and, and occasionally things on the website. Uh, and, of course, YouTube. Um, the uh, van wasn't running so good last week, so I had to take the van in. Um, it, it was running good, and I just took it in for an oil change. And by the time I got home, they said, we've found so many things wrong with your van. <laughs> and uh, so I got the van back today, and it was a $2,000 bill, which I'm still reeling uh, a little bit over. Um, but what I can say is that's good news for you because – uh, I do make a little bit of money off of Patreon. Maybe someday I'll make some money off of YouTube. And so I've done some math based on what I think people earn on YouTube ads. Uh, I should be, I need to make content for the next 426 years uh, to pay off <laughs> the bill on this van. So good, good news for you. If you like podcasts and videos, I'll be doing them till the end of time. <laughs> Daddy's going to pay for van repairs. So anyway, the, the good news is the van is running better than it has since I've owned it. You know, the, um, not to get into the van, but the, the best part of the van was when I pulled in, Usually your car is sitting, you know, like outside the service area and I didn't see it, but then I did see it and I didn't recognize it because it was so clean. And I thought, wow, my van has never been that clean before. Um, but it did have, it had some uh, minor engine problems, but it also had some front end problems. I had a tie rod that was uh, either broken or, 
or loose or falling and front suspension and, and shocks and all kinds of things that were making it not very fun or very safe to drive. So um, now it's it's back on the road. We're back on the road. And, and so if uh, if you're not following the Big Rob's Van Adventure on YouTube, I'm having a lot of fun making those videos and I'm getting some positive feedback on them. So um, yeah, I don't think you have to be deep, you know, wading into the van life community to enjoy them. I think they're kind of enjoyable either way, but I try to put a little bit of the, of the, the, the flack fun into the videos. So, um, and speaking of, uh, this is a terrible transition of flack fun to not fun. Uh, if you haven't seen the news, it leaked a couple days ago online that, uh, our, our brother in hacking, Kevin Mitnick passed away. Uh, I believe he passed away actually last weekend, but the news didn't leak out until earlier this week. Uh, Kevin Mitnick passed away from uh, cancer. He was 59 years old. Uh, one of the things in his online obituary, you know, he has been married for a while and his wife is pregnant with their first child. So that's obviously a sad situation. I have on my website on com. I wrote a little piece, kind of a, a tribute in uh, – and memory article about Kevin Mitnick. Uh, it doesn't really get into everything that he did. It's more about the time that I got to meet Kevin Mitnick. We got to spend a week together uh, through a, a training class he was putting on in Oklahoma. My wife actually hired him to come to Oklahoma. And uh, so we got to spend a, a week together. I was I was basically assigned to be his chaperone while he was on the premises. Um, you know, when you when you bring somebody that was formerly uh, on the FBI's top ten most wanted list to a government facility, it turns out they kind of want to keep eyes on that person, and that was my job. So uh, I, I knew who Kevin Mitnick was. My wife had kind of hired him because she knew who he was through my story. So, but anyway. Um, and, and we've remained in contact over the years. We are not close friends uh, or anything like that. But, uh, as I said in the article, it was always every now and then when I would post something on social media, a picture of a payphone or, or an old computer. And, and I would see that, uh, Kevin had liked it and I would always get a kick out of that. Just know he was still out there, you know, reading my stuff. And, uh, uh, and someone asked if I had ever sent him a copy of my book and, and actually whenever we met, uh, his books, his first two books, The uh, Art of Intrusion and The Art of, uh, I can't remember what the other one is, but both of those books were out. And so he gave me those two books and autographed them. And I autographed my book, Commodore, and gave it to him. So, uh, And he did send me an email one time, said that he really enjoyed the story. So anyway, rest in peace. Uh, to Kevin Mitnick, I know he was kind of a, in the hacking community, he's kind of a polarizing uh, personality because a lot of people, a lot of people don't consider him to be kind of a, a top tier hacker, if you will, because a lot of the access and things that he gained wasn't through technical prowess, but was more through social engineering, which is something he was a master of. Um, so, uh, you know, there, there's, uh, he's kind of a polarizing person, but, uh, you know, having met him and spent some time with him, he was a nice guy and he was a funny guy and he was super smart. So anyway, uh, rest in peace, uh, to Kevin Mitnick. 
If you have feedback about this or any episode of the show, you can email me directly at Rob O'Hare at robohare.com. Join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Robcast. Follow me on Twitter at Commodork. Come chat with me on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server or leave a message on the podcast hotline, which doesn't get very much action these days. That phone number is area code 405-486-YDKF for you don't know flack. Uh, looks like all my show notes have dried out here. I just rang out the paper one last time, and I can kind of see everything I wrote down about Whitewater. So let's get started talking about this episode's topic, Whitewater Bay. Sometimes the right time for having a good time, for chasing your troubles away. So come on, get up, get out, and get at it. We're going to Whitewater today. $2 off with specially marked cans of Coke and Sunkist. Opens daily Saturday. When I was a kid growing up in Oklahoma, there were two theme parks. One was called Spring Lake. The other one was called Frontier City. Uh, neither one of them were very large. Spring Lake closed down when I was very young, uh, probably when I was maybe six or seven years old. There was a fire that burned down Spring Lake, and that left us only with Frontier City. Uh, the, the nearest Six Flags to us was a four-hour drive away, uh, but there there wasn't any large amusement park in this area, and there certainly back then weren't any water parks. But in 1980... They began building this giant water park right off of the interstate. It's right off of Interstate 40, which runs east and west right across Oklahoma. Uh, this was located right between MacArthur and Meridian exits right in Oklahoma City. And on May 23rd, 1981, Whitewater, the water park, first opened. Now, I have referred to myself before my childhood as growing up as lower middle class. I don't know that that's entirely accurate. My dad worked in a print shop. My mom uh, babysat kids. I think I've said today you would probably call it a uh, a home daycare, but not, not that many kids. There was always um, two or three other kids hanging around the house. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like there were 10 or 20 kids. It was just a small handful of kids just to, to make, you know, some extra money. So we weren't rolling in the dough, <laughs> as the saying goes. We did not. Uh, I never went to Disneyland or Disney World as a kid. Uh, we never went to Six Flags as a kid. You know, I had neighbors who went on vacation who went skiing. Uh, you know, we just didn't do those kinds of vacations. I got a lot of clothes from garage sales, you know, or, or things like that. But I do, I, I want to soften all that and say that as a kid, uh, I never wanted for anything. Uh, I mean, it goes without saying we always had all the basics. We had food and, and we had clean clothes and, and we always got new clothes when it was time to go back to school. And, uh, you know, even more than that, like on birthdays and Christmas, 
it seems like we got more than other kids. There was a year where I got a go-kart uh, for Christmas, and my sister got a three-wheeler. Uh, I, I got every Star Wars toy I ever wanted. So when I say lower middle class, I don't mean to say like we were poor. We weren't. Uh, or broke or anything like that. It's just we did not have a lot of these uh, extra things, I think, that a lot of other kids that lived in our area kind of had. I remember as a kid one year, I asked for a slip and slide. If you remember those, it was a really long uh, yellow piece of plastic that had, you hooked a garden hose up to it and it had little sprinkler kind of things that shot water out to keep it, uh, uh, you know, slippery and you would run and slide down this thing. And I remember I asked for one a couple of times and, and never got one. So, uh, I had a friend come over and we made our own, we got a bunch of hefty trash bags and we had a, a croquet. Do you remember? <laughs> I think this is big in the seventies, a croquet set where you had the mallets and you had these balls and these little metal hoops that you would stick in the yard and you would try to uh, hit the croquet balls to get them to go through the hoops. And we used the, the croquet hoops to pin down these hefty trash bags. And then I took the garden hose and put it at one end and just flooded this thing for a while. And I remember uh, being so proud of this invention And the first time we went, I went running across the yard and dove onto this. And when I did, I just went sliding across the yard, pulling up all the bags with me. (laughs) Croquet hoops were flying in every direction. And I do remember that underneath where these bags were was a giant muddy streak where I had flooded our yard uh, to the point where there was a stripe of mud that went across our front yard for the, the majority of the summer. So, uh, that, that was the end of my, my makeshift, uh, uh, slip and slide. So, uh, but we had a Creek and I think we had a baby pool in our backyard uh, for a while. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like we, we went without, but, uh, when whitewater opened, my biggest memory was that it was expensive. Now the expensive in 1981, is different than what's expensive in 2023. But I want to say it was maybe $15. I mean, I I feel like it was less than $20 a person, but maybe somewhere between, I haven't been able to find an actual answer, but I I think it was maybe between 10 and $15 uh, per person. But uh, what happened was, and that would, that would get you in for the entire day. Obviously this is a big giant water park with a lot of slides. Uh, and again, this opened in 1981. This was the year, uh, between second and third grade for me, the summer, um, that, uh, came between second and third grade. So, uh, but I had neighbors who got to go to whitewater. I hadn't been, and they would come back and tell us these stories about the great things that were at whitewater. There was a pool that made gigantic waves. There were uh, rides and slides with inner tubes. There was one giant slide called white lightning that when you climbed all the way to the top of it, you could see all of Oklahoma city. It was so tall. Uh, There was an arcade. They told us there was even a mini golf, uh, like a putt putt golf course at whitewater. There was just all these amazing things. And I wanted to go so bad, but it just wasn't in the cards for us at that time until the butlers came along. Now the butlers 
were a family that lived on the opposite end of my street. We lived on a corner lot on one end of the street. They lived on a corner lot all the way down at the other end of the street. And their mom uh, was one of these neighborhood moms that sold, I think she sold Avon for a while. I know she sold Tupperware. So she was always going from house to house. And, and she was definitely one of the moms that, um, would would make the rounds on the phone. She would call everybody. Like she always knew what the the neighborhood gossip was. You know, she was always uh, you know telling everybody what was ha- was happening in the neighborhood. And they had three daughters, and the daughters were all older than I was. The youngest Butler daughter was one year older than me, and then I think the other ones were three years older, and then another three years older. So, uh, so I. I wasn't in classes with them. I just knew them, you know, from, from living on their street. Um, but the butlers bought whitewater season passes. Now, the cool thing about the first year, I think maybe the first two years of whitewater season passes were that they were, uh, handwritten on paper. They were not laminated. They're not like a driver's license, something you would think now. They were more just like, you know, heavy, uh, like a business card that had a name uh, written on it and a, and a date. And um, I don't I don't know that they had anything else on it. But one thing I remember very specifically is they did not have a photograph. It had no picture. It just had someone's name on it. And so, uh, at one point they asked our family if we wanted to borrow their passes. Now, the only problem with these passes was that they all had girls names on them, but, uh, the youngest daughter's name was Robin. And since I, everybody called me Robbie, we decided that that would probably work for me. And then one of the other, uh, girls passes my sister got, and then the other one, my mom got it. So we used our neighbor's whitewater passes and got to go to whitewater for the very first time. Now, when you walk through, um, it actually, I almost feel like the opening scene or the, the not the opening scene, but the uh, arrival at the very end of the original national lampoons vacation. Uh, you had to park in this parking lot. Usually I had to park super far away. The parking lot was black asphalt. It was hot. Like you could feel the heat coming off of the pavement in the parking lot. And, um, you know, we were not believers in, wearing clothes and then changing like, like when we went to Whitewater, you wore your bathing suit uh, and a pair of flip flops or, or tennis shoes and a towel over your shoulder. And you walked. So we had to walk through the parking lot with shorts and a, and a t-shirt and, and um, a towel, whatever we were going to have for the day. And then you got up to these opening gates and uh, you would show your pass or, or pay money. Uh, if, if you didn't have a, a season pass, and then you would enter Whitewater. And, and right when you entered, there were gift shops and some food carts and, and kind of things like that. Uh, there were also inner tubes. You could just grab an inner tube. This was in the early days and take it with you. And you could use the inner tube anywhere you wanted in the park. And I think you're supposed to return them. It's kind of like a shopping cart. You're supposed to return them. But if you didn't, they had people that would walk around and, and uh, um, gather inner tubes that had been left behind by children, probably like myself. Uh, there were lockers 
You could rent a locker for the day and put your things in there. My mom was never a believer in renting the locker. My mom was a believer in uh, that people's shoes were off limits. So if you went somewhere, you put your keys or wallet, your money, you stuffed them in a shoe and then uh, hide it under a towel. And then that was like the, that's the universal sign for don't take my stuff because I've got it hiding in these shoes under a towel and it's off limits. <laughs> So, and, and to her credit, it always worked. I don't think anybody ever messed with our stuff. Uh, not that, uh, not that I can ever remember. Um, so anyway, uh, <clears throat> just kind of panning mentally panning through the part from left to right. Uh, first of all, there was, uh, the wave pool. This was this giant pool that everyone was talking about. Uh, it would make waves like every 10 minutes. And I want to say the waves would last for five minutes. And this, this kind of, um, kind of an approximation, but it seemed like it would do waves for five minutes and it would stop. And there would be five minutes where there were no waves and then it would, uh, start again. And this was a big rectangular pool. It was shaped, you know, like a, uh, like a football field, you know? And then the middle of the park was this kind of uh, kids area. It was called Little Squirts Island. There was a, a kid playground in there. And then that whole area had like six inches of water. So little kids could go in there and sit and play. There was a, a like a boat they could climb on. They had water guns that would, that would shoot. But, uh, you know, you didn't actually swim in there. You just kind of played in the water. So a lot of times when moms would take little kids, you would find them in the uh, uh, Squirt Island action uh, area. And then um, kind of to the right uh, is where all the interesting things kind of started. Uh, there was the, uh, there were these two slides. One was called the twister. One was called the sidewinder. These were like those big tube slides um, that uh, uh, intertwined around. You would climb up and then slide down. I don't remember in the early days if you went on those with an inner tube or not. I just don't remember that. That changed back and forth uh, throughout the years. Then there was this big area that was supposed to look like a natural cave area, and it was called Pirate's Cove. And there were all kinds of things like you would go into Pirate's Cove. Uh, there were slides that came out of Pirate's Cove that were eight feet above the water. And some of the slides went all the way down to the water and some of the slides only went halfway. So you would slide down uh, four feet and then just do a like a free drop down into the water. It was so cool. There was a obstacle course by Pirate's Cove where you had to walk across like these uh, uh, inflatable they weren't inner tubes. They're almost like lily pads. And there was a, a net overhead. So you, you, you know, almost like monkey bars, you had to hang onto the net and walk all the way, uh, you know, across from one side to the other. Um, and then behind over this area was where the rapids were and the rapids were an inner tube ride that was really slow. It was like a series of cascading pools. So you would go into an area and uh, each area would hold, I don't know, 20, 30 people maybe. And then when you, but the water was always kind of pushing you to the end. And when you got to the end, there would be a slide uh, that wasn't very fast, but it would like almost like a ramp and the ramp would take you down to the next pool area. And I don't remember how many of those pool areas were like 10, 12 until you got to the end of the ride. But, but uh, the rapids were like kind of a ride for old people, I think is what it was 
designed for like it would take it maybe i mean you could milk the rapids and it would take half an hour to get all the way through the whole rapids if you really tried to go slow uh then there was the mini golf course which was two separate nine hole courses now the mini golf cost extra so the first time the first couple times we went we didn't go i if i remember right it cost three (laughs) dollars to play nine holes of golf um but uh so we didn't do that at first but then right uh in the center kind of towards the towards the gate was the biggest slide they had it was called white lightning white lightning was a five story tall slide you had to climb up five stories uh, and then when you got up there, it was uh, super, super fast uh, when you went down. I'm going to talk. I'm telling you some stories about white lightning in a minute. But um, now this is uh, kind of an odd thing. I don't know how a lot of kids were between second and third grade, but I didn't know how to swim. Uh, it, it had never actually come up. I we The butlers had a swimming pool that we would go down and swim in their pool, but their pool was like four foot deep. So you could walk the whole time you were in the pool. You were never over your head. Um, and it wasn't until the following year where I learned how to swim like a lot of kids did in the 80s. I went to a Boy Scout camp and happened to mention to an instructor that I didn't know how to swim. And he prompt, uh, promptly threw me into the deep end of the swimming pool. <laughs> and that is uh, how I learned how to swim. And uh, I guess most kids learn in that situation, you either learn how to swim. I didn't see any other bodies in the deep end. So I guess everybody eventually figures it out. But, um, uh, so yeah, that first year that we went to, to whitewater, I don't remember. I remember doing the rapids. I remember doing some of the slower things and, uh, I probably would have been too old for the kiddie pool, but, um, uh, yeah, not a lot of time in the wave pool. I think the wave pool was probably a big thing for me, but now, uh, it's the next year. It's the summer between third and fourth grade. Uh, Whitewater was usually open from Memorial Day to Labor Day. And uh, so now that everybody has heard about Whitewater, now it's like this big, huge thing the next year. And my neighbors across the street got passes. And it was the same thing the second year. They did not have pictures. They were just these little, you know, business card little things that you carried with you. And they had four boys. So using one of their passes was super easy to do. So if two of the boys were going to go, I could go with them and use one of the other boys' passes. So that's when uh, I remember really starting to go to Whitewater uh, quite a bit. Now, they had um, built some new rides after that first year. And uh, so they added some things and they were... My memory of Whitewater is that they were constantly changing things uh, throughout the, you know, over, over time. And the biggest addition right around this time was the addition of the Lazy River, which is still there today. Uh, the Lazy River was one of those rides that uh, went all the way around the park. So you could get in the Lazy River. I mean, the Lazy River is like four foot deep. You could get in the Lazy River without an inner tube if you wanted. Um, and a lot of people use the lazy river as transportation. If you want to get from one side of the park to the other, you just hop in the lazy river and there's steps going in and out, uh, in multiple places. And so you hop in the lazy river, 
you float around to wherever you want to go and then you get out, you know, but there were people that would take their inner tubes in there as well. And they would just stay in the lazy river. And there's a lot of older people that would spend a lot of time in the lazy river. So if you were, you know, playing chase or tag or something like that, uh, old people in inner tubes were always going to be, uh, <laughs> an obstacle, uh, in the lazy river. So that was something that wasn't there at the beginning, uh, but that they added, um, you know, there's been a lot of documentaries over the past few years about Action Park in New Jersey, and I wouldn't say that Whitewater was as dangerous as Action Park was, but it kind of seems like it was close. <laughs> it seems like Whitewater, uh, and maybe this is just water parks in general, was a pretty dangerous place. There were a lot of ways that you could get hurt. And not only that, but we were always unattended. At Whitewater, uh, you know, at best, on the best case scenario, one person's mom would take us to Whitewater, would take a bunch of kids, and then they would stay in the lazy river, or they would sit on one of the lounge chairs, or they would sit under the shade somewhere. But that's the best case scenario. Um, a lot of times what happened is someone's mom would take us and drop us off at the front, and we would just be kids at a water park with no real adult supervision all day long. There were lifeguards. And now looking back, the lifeguards were all high school students. I mean, I don't really remember seeing like older adults. I'm there, there had to have been, there must've been. But, uh, my point is there were a lot of ways to get hurt <laughs> at whitewater. So the wave pool, I mentioned that before it was shaped, you know, like I said, like a football field, it was like twice as, as long as it was wide, um, and, and the bottom of the wave pool was, a, it was a wedge shape. So there were no steps. You just, it just sloped down from the shallow end all the way down, uh, to the deep end. And at the deep end, there was, uh, this, some machinery, like a grate underneath the water that would generate these giant waves. So when you were a little kid, you would sit in the shallow end and the, and the waves would, would splash up, you know, and, 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 uh, uh, and that was fun. I remember they had these little like boogie boards that you could rent. And I remember standing, you know, like waist high. And when a wave would come, you would try to jump and ride one of the waves. Um, but you know, by the time you were old enough to go down, you would stand in the, the medium, like the four to five deep area and try to jump when the waves, because the waves would be over your head. So you would jump. Um, but because of the way that these waves are generated after the wave passes, there's this huge undertow that pulls the water towards the deep end. And so it very common, uh, you would have your feet pulled out from under you and you would start to get pulled to the deep end, you know, now normally you could recover and, and the whole bottom of the wave pool was this kind of like rough textured concrete, which was really good for keeping your balance, your feet on, but was really bad when your feet slipped out from under you and your knees or your shins would drag across that as you slid down into the deeper area. And, uh, I, I remember so many times just seeing people coming out of the wave pool bleeding <laughs> from the, there was just always blood. <laughs> it's a good thing. There were no sharks in the wave pool because, uh, they would have thought it was a feeding frenzy. The other thing about the wave pool is the deeper you went into the water, the more crowded it got. And there would be a lot of people like shoulder to shoulder, almost it seemed like. So I remember, uh, you know, 
once I, once I could dog paddle, getting into the deep part and having these waves go over and just getting submerged and like grabbing onto people, like trying to climb up people to keep my head above water so I wouldn't drown. Uh, I, I Many times I felt like I was going to die in the wave pool. Um, now, along the sides of the wave pool, there were these um, uh, poles that were kind of like indented into the wall that you could hang onto for dear life. And so one of the things was uh, you would go to the uh, um, to the side and try to hang on to the pole, and the waves would come, and you would slide down and, and keep hanging on to the pole. But every now and then, a wave would hit you in the face, and it would knock you off the pole, and suddenly, you're being pulled to the deep end, and you can't get back up high enough to grab those poles. So I, I remember, I associate the wave pool, especially the deep end, with a lot of terror, Um and there was one lifeguard on each side of the wave pool, like one on the left side and one on the right side, looking for people screaming. But spoiler alert, there were always 200 people in there that were all screaming. So if you were, you know, I remember screaming like, I'm dying. <laughs> Help me. And everybody else was screaming. I never once had a lifeguard like lift a finger <laughs> or even look at my direction. Um, and uh, I don't remember how many years it was, but pretty early on in the 1980s, someone drowned in the in the wave pool. And what I heard happen was they got pulled down. They got so far into the deep area that they got pulled down into that gate thing. And the suction just held them against there, and they were never able to get loose. So it held them down there for the five minutes uh, while it was jittering in the waves. And, uh, so yeah, that was, um, I tried to look for some dates and, and it's hard because there's been so many other people that have drowned at water parks. Uh, and, and unfortunately the name whitewater is pretty generic. So I, I kept finding news stories for people that had, uh, unfortunately drowned in whitewater rapids in random places in the country. So I couldn't find the actual, um, news story, but I, but I do remember that, that did happen. And it was sometime in the 1980s. My overall take of the wave pool was. In a way, it gave you that scary feeling like you were getting on a roller coaster, except I think we all know, I mean, unless something goes horribly, horribly wrong, uh, you're safe on a roller coaster. When you get on a roller coaster, 99.99999, whatever that number is, percentage of people that get on roller coasters get off roller coasters um, with, with, you know, in the same condition that they got on the, the roller coaster. But when you got in the wave pool, there was all, I always felt like there was a chance I was going to die. <laughs> And not in a fun uh, roller coaster, scary kind of way, like in a real way. Like I thought every time I got in there, I thought this could be the last, this is how I'm going to go. This is the wave pool at Whitewater. So anyway, that was the wave pool. And then um, they added this new ride called the Bermuda Triangle. Now the Bermuda Triangle, now I think, I'm not 100% positive, but I think what the Bermuda Triangle was, were those original two slides, the the twister and the sidewinder, but they covered part of them to make it dark when you went through, and and that became uh, the Bermuda Triangle. I looked up on Wikipedia, says that it is seven stories tall, so you had to climb these these stairs that wrapped around, wrapped around. You had to climb up seven stories to get to the top of the Bermuda Triangle, and at the very top of it, there's a huge flagpole and an American flag, which you could see for many miles around. You could see the flag on top of the Bermuda Triangle. 
Now, uh, I think of the, the difference between the two slides was one was faster and one had more twists and turns. But, I mean, when you got to the top, I don't think anybody had one that was, was a favorite, you know, over the other. Now, when, I, when we first started going to Whitewater, uh, you just slid down this thing and you went super fast. Like super fast, but uh, what they did was they started making people use inner tubes, and I think the inner tubes actually slowed you down on this ride. So the game became when you rode the Bermuda Triangle, you had to ditch your inner tube. Now you couldn't do it at the beginning because you'd get in trouble. They would be like, "What are you doing? You got to go on the inner tube." But once you went around a couple turns and you were out of the sight of the guy that stood at the top of the Bermuda Triangle, then you'd kind of hop off your inner tube, you know. Now, you don't want to do it too early uh, because then you'd get going so fast that you would end up, you know, running into the person before you. If they're still on an inner tube, you would catch them and actually end up, you know, kicking them with your feet. So you didn't want to do it too soon, but if you did it too late, you know, you didn't get going very fast. So uh, I, I remember – there was actual a thing like, you know, okay, after the second turn, that's where you got to ditch your inner tube, you know? So my buddy Jeff and I went to Whitewater in, uh, you know, middle school, sometime in middle school. And we, and everybody knew about this trick. And so uh, we got all the way up to the Bermuda Triangle. And when we started going, like immediately, like the second he started going, Jeff just kind of hopped off his inner tube and threw the inner tube over the side. <laughs> So the inner tube like fell down seven stories. It's floating in the air, bouncing off of things, and then just hit the ground. And he went super fast through the ride. And uh, I was on the other side. And so when I saw that, I was like, I better stay in my inner tube. So he got down really fast. And by the time I got down, this lifeguard was yelling at Jeff and made him time out. She pulled him out of <laughs> the pool and made him sit by the grass, and the grass was right next to the lazy river. And so I went over, and I was like, what do I do? Because I was there with Jeff, and he goes, I don't know, get in the lazy river. So I went in the lazy river, and I don't remember how long it took to go all the way around the lazy river. Let's say five minutes, maybe, to go all the way around. But I remember I went around the lazy river seven times, and Jeff was still there. Every time I came around, Jeff was still there in timeout. I think he was going to like have to sit there for the whole day. And the seventh time I came around, Jeff just got up and ran over and got in the lazy river and we floated away. So, um, you know, we were two average looking kids with, with black swim shorts on. So, you know, and we just, we stayed away from the Bermuda Triangle for the rest of the day and, um, no, nothing ever happened to us. But, uh, I always, rem like, I remember thinking like the next time we went, I was like, boy, if that lifeguard sees you again. And of course, you know, they saw thousands of people a day. Uh, so we were afraid that, that we were going to get caught, but, uh, but we pulled it off. Jeff pulled it off. <laughs> All I did was flow in the uh, lazy river. So let's talk about white lightning. Now, white lightning was the giant slide. It was the first thing you saw when you came in, when you got past the the little shops and the food things. White lightning was on the left-hand side. Um, white lightning was five stories tall. Uh, I believe the slide is still there. And the first year, you went down on these little rubberish 
sleds, like a little toboggan thing. So you would go to the top, you would carry these things up to the top, and there were lanes. There were like four lanes on the slide. There was a little divider between each one. And you would sit up at the top, and and you could either sit on your bottom on this little sled thing, or you could lay on your stomach. Either one, it didn't matter. And there would be a little platform, and then the platform would tip down, and all four people would be let go at once. So it was like a race. Everybody was racing down, right? But they would tell you – so the problem with this was – and at the very bottom – so let me say this. You go down this five-story slide, and at the bottom, there was this shallow water pool. I mean, it was, you know, let's say three foot deep, something like that. And, uh, and it wasn't very long, but that's what was supposed to stop you. Right. So what people learned is if you, you had to be perfectly in the middle of this little toboggan, because if you were too far forward, when you got to the end of the slide and hit that water, you would just do a front flip and go flying really hard into the shallow water. It was not fun because you would go really fast. I think they used to say it would go, I don't know. I I mean, I I saw estimates of 30 to 50 miles an hour. There's no way we went 50 miles an hour, but 30 miles an hour is very believable. I think the thing on their website, it says up to 35 miles an hour. Uh, So you would just go super fast on this thing. But if you land too far back, what would happen is you would kind of hydroplane. And so you would hit that water and you would just kind of bounce and bounce and bounce and make it dangerously far to the end. (laughs) And so uh, I don't know if this is true, but the rumor was that someone had sat on the back of one of those toboggans and had their feet out the front and hydroplane and got to the end and broke their ankles. I don't know if that really happened, but that's, I mean, everybody who went to Whitewater knew that story. That story um, was was perpetuated, circulated for, for years and years and years. So after a year or two, they got rid of the toboggans and they said, now you just go down uh, the slide and you could go down on your stomach or you could go down on your backside, but uh, there was no more no more toboggans. Now, when you went down on your backside, they always told you to cross your legs. They said, you got to cross your legs because if you don't, when you hit that water, if you hit it with the bottom of your feet, you're going to flip forward. Uh, I mean, it's literally, you're doing 30 something miles an hour and you're hitting, you know, still water. You're going to flip over. So you got to cross your legs and, you know, right at the end, you got to lift, lift your feet up. And so what happens is you hit that water and then, you know, of course you go a little bit, uh, and the water stops you and then you kind of sink down and you stand up and you, you get out of that little pool. But, um, but there was a rumor that there was another reason why they told you to cross your legs. And that rumor was that if you didn't cross your legs, you would give yourself an enema. <laughs> water would shoot up someplace where you don't want water to shoot up. So uh, I went to Whitewater one time with my friend Justin, and Justin's mom went with us. So it was the three of us that were at Whitewater, and she wanted to ride White Lightning. But she was very scared because of this story that someone had hit the back wall and broken their ankles. So Justin told his mom, 
here's what you do. When you get to the bottom, just spread your legs as wide as you can. And I was going to say something, but he shot me a look. (laughs) So uh, we decided we were going to find out if the rumor was true and that white lightning would give you an enema if you hit that bottom at 35 miles an hour with your legs spread wide open or if it was just a rumor. I'm here to tell you it was true. Justin's mom hit the bottom of the white lightning with her legs just as wide as she could have them. She hit the water, went into the water, and she stood up with a look on her face. And Justin and I had gone down before her, so we were waiting on her. She stood up out of the water and said, I've got to go to the bathroom. And she immediately left white lightning and made a beeline straight to the nearest bathroom. Now, this kind of uh, worked out in our advantage because right next to White Lightning was at that time an arcade. Arcades were everywhere in the 1980s. Uh, Our roller skating rink had an arcade. Uh, There were arcade machines at the local supermarket. There were arcade games at the laundromat. There were arcade games uh, everywhere. The bowling alley. I mean, anywhere where you could put... Anywhere where, you, where there was any room, you would find a couple of arcade games. And uh, anywhere that had more room than that, you would find many arcade games. And so Whitewater was no exception. They had an arcade, but they did not have an arcade building. So what they had was about 30 machines, if I remember right, set up kind of in a, a square, all facing inward with a, a, a gap that you would walk into. And maybe a few machines in the middle. But uh, over this was a giant tent. It was like a pavilion. So this is an outdoor thing with a tent over it. Uh, And I do remember just extension cords and little pieces of carpet, like AstroTurf carpet, over everything with kids that are dripping with water. This is the worst idea you can possibly imagine. And so when Justin's mom went to the bathroom and spent uh, a little bit of private time in the restroom, Justin and I went over to the arcade and we were playing some different games. And one of the things I remember this to this day was they had battle zone. Battle zone was the vector uh, tank game where you had the two controls and the control panel. There was a spot that was worn off and either it was metal there or it was a bolt. I don't really remember, but I remember there was something metal there. And when I touched it, it shocked the crap out of me. I mean, it was like when you lick a nine volt battery, it was that feeling, but in my arm, just, you know, (laughs) I'm adding sound effects to this episode. And, uh, so when I did that, uh, there was this kid, a young kid that came over there by us and we decided to tell him that if you, uh, that the game had given us free credits, that something was wrong with it and it would shock you, but it would give you free credits. And so we talked this little kid, (laughs) into touching this thing. And when it shocked him, of course, the game did not give him free credits. And then we were like, well, maybe we were touching the coin door and the thing, trying again. And then we talked him into doing that. And then we were like, well, maybe we were holding the joystick. And we did, you know, so, I mean, we got this kid to shock himself about 10 times before he realized that he was not getting a free game of battle zone. I don't remember the arcade being there very long, to be honest with you. Uh, I think maybe that was a temporary thing where somebody had brought some games in for the summer and they put the pavilion thing up. And then, uh, that was that, that was, it was not uh, a very popular part of whitewater. 
I talked about the Rapids a little bit. I loved the Rapids. The Rapids were my favorite thing. Uh, again, you you got an inner tube at the bottom of the ride, and you would carry it up these steps, and then uh, you got into the all the Rapids were like those. It you know it looked like rock, but I think it was all fake rock that they had made, and then you would just float. Um, in these big areas. And again, at the end of the area, there would be a rock ramp that you slid down to the next area. And the thing was, you wanted to stay with your pal. You went with your buddy. And so the water was always moving from top to the bottom. So it was always, there was a natural flow that would push you in that direction. But what, and, and they would always get on to you. Say, stay in your inner tube, stay in your inner tube. Because when you went down that, the slide thing, it was rock, you know, so it would scrape your legs up. But all of us would take one leg and kind of stick it inside the inner tube and down at the bottom and then kind of push yourself away from the ramp or whatever. And then you would – there was another thing I remember that these inner tubes had uh, handles on them, and we would make chains. So if there were four or five of us that went to Whitewater and we went on the rapids, we would all hold on to the next guy's handle. So we would make this long chain of kids – and then when one would start to go down, you just keep pulling everybody, and then you would all <laughs> stay together and go down. I, oh man, I'm I miss the rapids. That that's probably the thing that I miss the most about Whitewater. Because um, like I said, you could just stay in there. The game was to stay in the rapids as long as possible. You know, I would just float in there. Oh man, it was it was good times. Um. Of course, I mentioned the Pirate Cove area. Um, that area, you know, had really fast slides and those half slides. Um, when I was young, there was a lot of seats, uh, lounge chairs near Pirate's Cove. And it seemed like the moms who would bring kids would always be in the toddler area, the little squirts area, or there were a bunch of uh, tanning lounge chairs over by the wave pool. But the dads... We're always over by Pirate Cove. Uh, and I think there was two reasons for that. Number one, there were uh, food carts over there that sold like frozen margaritas and frozen daiquiris. So I think the dads would go over there and get a drink and hang out in these lounge chairs. But the slides in that area were very fast, kind of violent, you know, especially the half slides. If you can imagine these half slides that would go four foot and then end and you would fall another four foot. Uh, into the water and then come up. And the, I, I would say more than a rumor, uh, what happened on occasion was young ladies who didn't tie their bikini tops very tight uh, would go on those slides and would come up either with their bikinis around their necks <laughs> or missing. And uh, someone would have to find that. So, I got a feeling that might have been why all the dads were over there in the lounge chairs. I think uh, if you stayed there long enough and probably multiple times a day, you probably got a pretty good show over there in the Pirate's Cove. I would mentioned the putt-putt course. I didn't play the putt-putt course a lot, uh, but I did go once or twice. And my memories of the course were, number one, it was a long line to get to play putt-putt. Uh, people went through it very slow. And and there were wooden steps that went all the way up this big area to eventually where the, the putt-putt course started. So while you were standing there, all you could see was the entire rest of the park. And all I mean, you just had this great view of everybody else having a good time. 
and you standing in a long line to go play mini golf. So I think that that kind of worked against uh, the concept of playing golf. Also, the fact that it cost extra money, all the other stuff that I mentioned so far, all the rides, everything was included in your cost of admission. But putt-putt cost $3, so you had to pay more money to go do this. The other thing was, Whitewater is only open in the summer. And in the summer in Oklahoma, I mean, 80s would be a cool day. 90s and sometimes in the 100s would be, uh, you know, a, a more regular temperature. So now you're dried off and you're burning and you're standing in the sun. There's no shade. You have to stand in this long line to get up to play putt-putt where there's not going to be any shade. Now, I do remember playing the putt-putt. I do remember it was fun. There was a lot of um, you know, all the traditional things you would, you would, uh, associate little, you know, whoop-de-doos and, and ramps and windmills and all those things. What, one of my, my strongest memory is that there was one of those metal, I, I, I would call it metal binoculars, like something you would see at, um, like Niagara Falls or something where you would put a quarter in and you could use the binoculars to see Niagara Falls. And there was a little thing there, and it said, if you put a quarter in and look at this, you could see the 18th hole. And I put a quarter in there and looked through it, and it wasn't really binoculars. There was like a picture inside, um, almost like a Viewmaster, uh, because it was a 3D, and, and you had to, you know, the light coming through made it where you could see the picture. But it was like a picture of the Mars landscape, and there was a Martian poking his head out of a crater, and there was a flag that said 18. So I guess that was the joke, was that you were, the the binoculars were so strong, you were actually, you know, looking at Mars, or that the 18th hole was on Mars, or something like that. I don't know. But I, I do, I remember doing that. And I remember doing it more than once for some reason. Like, why would you do it again once you've uh, uh, done the joke? Um, but yeah, <clears throat> like I said, the, the putt putt wasn't as popular just because that reason that it cost you know more money uh, that you had to spend money. Um, speaking of money, uh, there were things at Whitewater to spend money on, um, and, and the big thing was food. Uh, they had fast food kind of like they had nachos and hot dogs, and all I remember is that they were super expensive. I mean, I think. Cokes back then were a couple of dollars each. And this was at a time when a can of Coke was, you know, 35 cents. So paying $2 for a Coke uh, was crazy. They had the um, souvenir whitewater, you know, um, like drinks, you know, like you would get at Six Flags and stuff now, like those big sippy cups with the giant uh, straws and everything like that. Um, but they had water fountains. And so that's normally, that's where I got my drinks is, uh, you know, you, you get a drink at a water fountain. And also in the early days, you were allowed to bring your own food and your own drinks. So my mom would bring a big beach bag and would have little snacks in there and, and little either juice, juice boxes or, or, you know, some sort of cans of, of uh, Shasta <laughs> cola or something like that. So that's what we normally had. Now they, they've since, uh, uh, banned that they don't allow you to do that anymore. Um, in fact, um, they have, um, uh, added, added money to a lot of things. Uh, they, they raised the price on the lockers. Um, I mean the lockers, when I was a kid, I feel like they're like, I know that the lockers took quarters. So it was a, a quarter or 50 cents or something like that. I think I read that the lockers are 10 bucks now for the day. Um, now they charge you to, to pay to park. 
Now you have to pay to rent those inner tubes that were free. Uh, a lot of things changed over the years. And I'm going to tell you why um, in just a second. There's one other story I, I I have to tell you. And it was about the the Little Squirts area. Um, the Little Squirts area, like I said, was um, almost reminded you of like a McDonald's playground, but just in six inches of water. So kids would go there. Uh, splash around in the water. I mean, little babies would would sit in there and stuff, and there was no chance of of uh, drowning or anything like that. But I remember one time I was in, uh, I think, fifth or sixth grade maybe, and I'd gone with some neighborhood kids, and there were these guys sitting in lounge chairs right near the toddler area, and the guys looked like uh, roadies from an 80s hair metal band. I remember... They were like wearing jean, like cut off. You weren't supposed to wear cut off jeans there, but they had jean shorts or something. They were wearing boots. I remember they had boots on. I think one guy might have had a leather coat. <clears throat> it's hard to remember, you know, uh, what's what was real and, and what I've imagined over the years. But um, these guys were telling all these stories about how they knew all these famous rock bands. And that they were roadies and they were there on tour for some band and they had taken the day off and were at Whitewater, which maybe, you know, in retrospect, I could see that possibly being true. Maybe they were on a tour and they had a day to kill and they went to Whitewater. I don't know. But the story was that they had been roadies for Motley Crue. And in my neighborhood circle of kids. There was nobody that would have been more popular than a roadie for Motley Crue, other than if Motley Crue had actually been at Whitewater. And so these guys were telling us all these stories that we were gathered around. And it was weird because there was 10 of us uh, who were at least teenagers. And those guys would have been probably late teens or early 20s. But there are 10 of us all hanging out in the kitty area <laughs> listening to these guys tell these crazy stories. And the one I remember very specifically is he was telling us a story about how when they had been on tour with Molly Crew and they came through Oklahoma City and they invited everybody over to his parents' house for dinner. And his mom made spaghetti. I remember that detail. And, uh, but there was a part of the story that I, that has stuck with me. And he said that whenever they went in to the living room, uh, Nikki six, who is a bass player of Motley Crue, put his feet up on the table and the mom came in and said, who do you think you are? And he said, I think I'm Nikki six. And she said, I don't care who you think you are. Get your feet off my table. <laughs> I'll never forget that story. I don't know if that story is true. I have no idea. And I doubt Nikki six would remember that story. Um, <laughs> so I have no way of verifying it, but I just remember all of my friends were like, Oh my gosh, your mom told Nikki six, the bass player of Motley Crue to take his feet off her table. That's crazy. Um, the other thing I remember about that particular incident was, uh, again, I mentioned the lazy river and the lazy river went all the way around, uh, the, um, uh, the park and the lazy river was like four feet deep, but there were a couple of places where there were bridges that went over the lazy river. So you would go up, you know, six or seven steps and then walk over the top of the lazy river and then back down, um, so that you could get to different parts of the park. And the guy that we were talking to was talking about how crazy 
Motley Crue was and how they would do all these crazy things. And one of the guys that was with us uh, was a kid who also did a lot of crazy things when I was growing up. And he said, oh, yeah, watch this. And he turned around and walked up that bridge, got to the top of the bridge and jumped into the lazy river. Um, this is not quite the same as those guys that do the high dives into a shallow <laughs> pool of water, but it's close. I mean, the, the lazy river was four foot deep and, uh, and he must've been up eight foot or higher, you know? So, you know, he kind of jumped in at an angle and, uh, and then the lifeguard started yelling, but the thing was the lazy river was always flowing. So he kept going and they couldn't chase him and he got out of the lazy river and ran somewhere else. So I, I, he pulled it off. Uh, he dove off of that bridge. Uh, I say dove. I think he jumped, but whatever. He he left, leapt from the bridge and went into the lazy river. I will never forget that night. That was a crazy, crazy night um, at Whitewater. Now, as I told you, when I was a kid, I'd borrowed uh, passes. I borrowed pa passes from the butlers to get into Whitewater. I borrowed passes from our neighbors across the street to get into whitewater. But after a few years, they started putting people's pictures on their whitewater passes. And so that prevented people from using each other's passes. They got wise, uh, to our plan. So I do remember as a kid, a couple of times for Christmas, my parents would buy us. We got a whitewater pass, especially when I was a little bit older, you know? And so, um, I, I seem to recall the rule uh, was always, if you went twice, the pass paid for itself. The pass was basically the same price as going to the parks two times. And I just said parks, plural. There's a reason for that. In 1991, which was my senior year of high school, uh, Whitewater was purchased by a company called Premier Parks. Premier Parks also purchased Frontier City the other big amusement park that I was telling you about that was also in Oklahoma City. Now, they renamed Whitewater to Whitewater Bay. So they made a big point of saying, you know, white, now Whitewater is now Whitewater Bay. Well, who cares? Who cares what you call it? It's, it's always going to be Whitewater. And everybody here to this day, it has changed names uh, since then a couple more times. Everybody calls it Whitewater. If you call it its current name, no one will know uh, what you're talking about. So in 1991, uh, we bought a season pass. My senior year, me and all my friends bought season passes. And a season pass, I looked this up, was $55. But that gave you unlimited access to both parks, both Frontier City and Whitewater. Now, I think we only went to Whitewater a couple of times. We went more to Frontier City. But man, did we get our money's worth out of those passes. You know, we were all 16, 17 years old. We had all just got cars and we would go to Frontier City, uh, you know, multiple times a week. Um, now, Frontier City was a little bit further away than Whitewater was. Uh, I just looked on Google Maps. Whitewater is eight miles from my childhood home. Uh, Frontier City is closer to 25 miles. So Frontier City was a, a further drive. But we got the heck, uh, we got our money's worth out of those passes. We went so many times. I, like I said, I think we went to Frontier City more than we went to Whitewater, but I definitely remember 
going to Whitewater. And the thing about when you have a pass is that when you pay to go to a place like this, you feel like you got to squeeze every ounce of entertainment. You know, I paid my thirty dollars. I'm going to ride this this slide as many times as I can. I'm going to do. I'm going to do everything. When you got a pass, you don't feel like you got to stay for eight hours. You can go stay for a couple hours. You know, you can go do this. You can just ride this one thing or this other thing. The other great thing about Whitewater is if you go back and listen to, there's an old episode of You Don't Know Flack where I talk about Photon, which was our local laser tag uh, arena. Photon was located 100 yards away from Whitewater. I mean, they were right there on the same street. So there were times where we would go to, to Photon for a little while and then shift over and go to Whitewater. That was the same same year we had uh, uh, our passes. Now, as I mentioned, Whitewater was constantly changing, right? Uh, in 1991, I mentioned they were purchased by Premier Parks. That's when they changed their name to Whitewater Bay. But in 2007, they were purchased by Six Flags. Six Flags actually bought Whitewater and Frontier City. They bought both parks from Premier Parks. Uh, so Frontier City has largely been left alone. But Whitewater, which had become Whitewater Bay, was renamed to Hurricane Harbor. So they took down the sign that says Whitewater, and they put up a sign that says Hurricane Harbor. A few years ago, they changed the name to now say Hurricane Harbor Splashtown. I don't know what that's all about, but I'm telling you this, and this is true. If you ever come to Oklahoma City and you say, um, could you tell me where Hurricane Harbor Splashtown is? People will look at you like you are crazy. I just mentioned that to my wife. I told her I was working on a thing about Hurricane Harbor Splashtown to see what she would say. And she was like, what is that? And I said, that's the new name of Whitewater. And she goes, oh, well, when did they name it that? Well, it turns out a long time ago. <laughs> um, but it's just like, you know, my dad and my dad's family are from Chicago. And, and you know, the, the Sears Tower was renamed years ago. Now it's the Willis Tower. Nobody calls it the Willis Tower. Everybody calls it the Sears Tower. When these things, uh, you know, have a name, that name sticks with them forever. And so forever, this park will be known as Whitewater. Whitewater is still open to this day. And if you drive down I-40 and you head, I have to do my directions real quick, uh, west from Oklahoma City, like from Bricktown, and you're heading out west, uh, you will uh, drive right past Whitewater, and before you see the park, you will see the Bermuda Triangle and that giant flag. Again, you can see that thing waving from miles away. Uh, they have done some other updates and changes since the last time I went. One of the things they do in the summer now is a wave pool movie night. So uh, they don't turn on the wave pool, <laughs> but you can go out there during the summer and the evenings and they set up a giant uh, movie screen and a projector and they show movies at the, like the deep end of the wave pool. And so you just go out to the wave pool, you take a inner tube out there and sit out on, on the, uh, or in the wave pool and watch movies. And I do remember that the first movie that they showed was Jaws. I'm not sure I'd want to be floating in a pool at night in the dark <laughs> watching Jaws. But, um, uh, 
Yeah, that was that was the first one that they showed. They still do that. Uh, they also do a big Fourth of July fireworks display at Whitewater every year, and you can actually go to Whitewater and be in the pools and watch the firework display, and you can see those fireworks from miles around. So that that would be pretty cool. We've never done that, but that would be pretty cool uh, to check out. I just checked. The Whitewater, I mean Hurricane Harbor, Splashtown website to get some current prices. Uh, They sell a one-day pass that includes parking, admission, and unlimited all-day dining. Now, I don't – they must have added a dining room where you could go get things. That that wasn't there. They only had, like, food cart stuff when I was there. But anyway – uh, that one day pass is $65. If you just want to get in the door, it is $33. And if you want to get in the door, uh, and you can also add $10 to that $43, that'll get you admission and unlimited, uh, soft drinks throughout the whole day. So I think, you know, you could go, go up uh, to any place, show this pass, um, and get a free Coke. Um, They have a lot of little upcharges that they will sell you. You can reserve a lounge chair now, which is ridiculous. When I was a kid, it was first come, first serve, um, and and they had plenty of chairs. So I don't remember ever looking for a chair and not being able to find one, but they have reserved chairs now for $10. Uh, All the way up to the highest thing I saw is they said there are cabanas that seat four people and you get unlimited drinks in the cabana and that is $250 per person. That's nutty. $1,000 to go to Whitewater with four people. That is crazy. Um, Whitewater has its own Wikipedia page. And so I looked at the Wikipedia page and it says that White Lightning is now gone. Uh, white lightning is the one I told you the the uh, uh, the the Enema slide. Uh, I do remember at one time they changed white lightning. They took out the uh, the tracks in between the four. You know, so basically four people could go at a time. They took that out and then they made it a thing where six people would go all at once in one of those giant inner tubes where everybody faced each other. But um, it just went so fast. You know, you had to get all the way up there and you got this inner tube and everybody got in there and then. You know, the ride would be over in just a few seconds, so I don't think that was uh, very popular. The mini golf course is long gone. Uh, they they removed all that. I think they added a couple slides where the mini golf course used to be, but uh, yeah, the mini golf course is no more. And Cannonball Falls are gone. Those lovely, lovely slides that the adult men loved watching the girls go off. <laughs> Cannonball Falls. I think one too many bikini tops must have come off, and they got up, uh, got rid of Cannonball Falls. Also, I think that place was uh, those slides. I think were kind of dangerous. I mean, you're dropping four foot, you know, and if you were off balance on on the slide, that meant you know there were a lot of uh, belly busters or back busters off of those, and uh, a lot of crying kids uh, from there. I went to TripAdvisor to see if there were reviews of Whitewater, and of course there are hundreds, but this one really stuck out to me. This is a fairly recent one, and it is titled Six Flags Ruined Whitewater. This is from 2019. The reviewer wrote, 
It's a business, so of course the game is to make money, but they're really pushing their luck at what is a fairly modest facility. Day tickets are $41.99, parking is $20, lockers are $15, and they are small. Two small bottles of water are an eye-watering $10 plus tax. You are, of course, banned from taking any drinks or food inside. I wonder why. If you buy in advance online, any savings are largely offset by a $9.99 processing fee. The park itself felt as if it needed upgrading, especially with such an extravagant pricing policy. There were signs of poor maintenance in many areas, and the water wasn't particularly clean. The lazy river was murky, to say the least. The only way this is remotely good value is if you're local with a pass and visit often. Not much use for an out-of-town tourist such as us. It would be okay if the prices reflected what's on offer, but they don't. They've pushed the price gouging to the limit and then some. $200 for three of us at a faded, mini-sized water park can only be described as terrible value. We rented a car for eight days for only a little more. If I pay top dollar, I expect top quality. This isn't even close. The answer is for people to vote with their feet. I really found that really saddening, a really sad review. Um, and I haven't been to Whitewater in years, but I, I believe the review. I've heard people say that a lot of the things that are at Whitewater look just like they looked when we first started going all the way back in 1981, which was 40 years ago. These are new and some of the things have been repainted, but a lot of it is just kind of the same. And, and I would say that probably the, the worst offender of that is the lazy river. Now the lazy river is what it is. I mean, I mean it's a, it's a, it's a river that goes through, uh, around the park. So there's not much updating that can be done to it, but the fact that people, there are other reviews that talked about trash and talked about, you know, the water not being clear. And, and that's certainly not the white water that I remember from my childhood, but you know, rose tinted glasses and all those things. Now, when my kids were young, we bought them the same passes that I had when I was a kid, the ones that got you access to both Whitewater and Frontier City. And they actually liked going to Frontier City a lot more than they liked going to Whitewater, which is also not helped by the fact that Frontier City has a few water rides. They have a water log ride and they have some water slides. So uh, it seems like if you're only going to do one or the other, Frontier City was always kind of the choice. The other problem that we had was Whitewater used to have a thing where when you had a pass, you could bring a friend for the day, but they got rid of that. So uh, if you, even if you have a pass, you have to, if you want a friend to go with you, they're going to have to pay 30 or $40 or whatever to be able to go with you. So it was always hard finding friends for the, to go with the kids that would be willing to pay, um, you know, to go to whitewater. Now, about three years ago, when we purchased the house I'm in now, uh, we had an in-ground swimming pool put in. This has been a dream 
of my wife since she was a little kid. And with what little money we made off of our last house sale, we put into my workshop and into having a pool installed. Now, uh, it is not exactly like whitewater. There are no big water slides, and obviously there's no wave pool. And there are only a few attractions. One is... uh, One attraction is scooping out dead June bugs and occasionally trying to catch a wayward frog that has made its way to the pool and doesn't plan on leaving without a fight. Um, But it certainly does have its advantages. The chairs, of course, are free and you don't need a locker so no one will steal your things. The food is uh, much less expensive and there is no parking fee. Alcohol is not only permitted but encouraged. And when you're all done swimming, the trip back to the house is only about 15 steps. And the best part is, as far as I know, no one has accidentally given themselves an enema here. That wraps up another episode of You Don't Know Flack. If you have feedback about this or any episode of the show, you can always email me directly at Rob O'Hara at RobOHara.com. Join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Robcast. Follow me on Twitter at Commodore. Come chat with me on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord or leave a message on the podcast hotline at 405-486-YDKF. This show would not be possible without the support of my patrons, people like David Z, Vintage Volts, and Jason Palmer. If you would like to support my podcasts and other creative ventures, Visit my Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. All of my patrons get access to behind-the-scenes blog posts, random videos, access to the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server, and other additional perks. To find out more details, visit my page. Again, that is patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. You Don't Know Flag is available on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and the RSS feed available at podcast.robohara.com. To hear more podcasts from me, visit podcast.robohara.com for links and information about my other shows. Congratulations. If you made it this far, you've been treading water for an hour and now know a little bit more about flat. I'll see you here next time.